Welcome to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Griego-Kyle of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. In this podcast, we discuss sustainable impact investing, creating portfolios that match your values, and a variety of other topics such as financial education, social justice, and sustainable food systems. Do you want to know if your investments seek the kind of accountability from corporations that you demand? Listen in as we explore the burning question, are you investing like you give a damn? Hello and welcome to Deep Impact Investing with Kimberly Grego kyle from Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. Kim, how are you? I'm good. I have my favorite guest back today. I know. I'm excited. <laughs> what are you guys talking about today? I mean, there's going to be a well, lot, I'm sure. Yes, we have a lot to cover, but let me let listeners know who we have because some of them may have not heard heard. Oh, her but they should go speak. back and listen to the other one too. Absolutely. So today joining us live on video, well, live for us, is Pooja Kuzla. And she's my friend and so intelligent. And she is the executive vice president at oh of a client and product development. We should although she should just be president of everything, really, at <laughs> intelligent. So welcome back, Pooja. Thanks, Kim. And um, to be very honest, every hour I spent with you is very valuable for me because (laughs) a person can be intelligent if he's asked or she's asked intelligent questions. Well, that's true. I like it. I like your thoughts. It's good stuff already. I'm going to leave. I know. Uh, I'm going to listen. (laughs) But you guys take it over. We're going to have a conversation. And again, so much to chat about today. But again, welcome, Pooja. It's always lovely to see you and have a conversation with you. It's highlight of my week, actually. And we've talked twice. So let's let's start out our conversation today about some of these anti-ESG sentiments that we're hearing. And there's just so much happening in that area. I'm not sure where to start, but give me your take on it. So Kim, this is a loaded, loaded question. I know. (laughs) So we are talking at the times when there are a lot of anti-ESG sentiments. And in my jargon, I'm calling it a lot of attention and tension in ESG market. Yeah. So we see trillions of dollars coming into ESG, sustainability investing, PRI investing, social development goal investing, and multiplying it last two years. But the year 2022 is very different from year 2021. And 2020 and 2019. Exactly. Exactly. Because this year started with pressures of pandemic recovery, war, government regulation changes, adjustment to interest rate, inflations. And to me, ESG is casualty to all of this, all of the above. Oh, I lo- that's an interesting way to look at it. it the, the anti-ESG sentiment is a, is a casualty of situation. Exactly. And uh, we cushion something new when times are not right. 
because we don't know how these new additions or new factors or new investment styles will work with short-term shocks. It is a market myopia. Yeah. We are looking for past three, six months investment, and we are forgetting what we have to achieve in future for our growth, climate, and planet goals. Yeah, I want to comment on that. I think you're you're right there because what you know we've heard the term before throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and I I don't want to see that happen. But people react in two ways to market disruptions, and we've certainly had, as you mentioned, plenty of those in the last six months. And usually that reaction is fear. And so when we see a lot of fear, what we're seeing in the ESG impact space is this anti-ESG sentiment. People are afraid to put more money into it You know, at the very wrong time. This is when we should be adding money to markets, right? To our accounts. But you know, people get scared. And I, I do understand that. What do you think the best way is for us in the industry to address this issue? Kim, I would say that right now we are at testing times where durability of sustainability is questioned. So our durability is questioned. So how do we show that we have this long-term track record? How do we talk about that in easy to understand terms for the average investor and help that understanding come across? I think there is a little bit of work required from both sides, from the investment side, as well as from the market side. And to address this in a manner where we can create a win-win situation for market and investor, we have to think ESG differently because ESG is not a problem. The application of ESG and understanding of ESG is a yes. problem. I, I agree with you because I think, I, and I've said this before on a different podcast, ESG is a process. And the impact part is a completely different piece. And I, and, and I, yeah, so we do need to look at the process. What is yeah. a loaded question, but where would you start? I would start with understanding of ESG. We started really fast in labeling investment strategy as ESG, defining them from marketing standpoint, not from goal standpoint, what these Mm. strategies actually mean. So I think we have to start from understanding of the definition and recognizing the metrics, not from qualitative perspective, but from quantitative perspective that can be tested, applied, retested, stress-tested in a situation of today. 
I, I agree with you. I see that ESG as quantitative. It is data and that we can analyze, that we can look at, we can share that information. Behind that, of course, is the passion of investors to make an impact and to make a difference. And right now with a bear market, which we keep bouncing in and out of, but we're right there. We also have to look at market drops and how that's affecting investors and then recession as a possibility. And Johan told me one time that if you ask 10 economists their opinion on something like, is a recession coming, you'll get 15 different answers. (laughs) So I am curious what your thoughts are on whether or not a recession is coming, whether you think it's a strong recession, whether it's a weak recession, what the prospects are for, well, let's just start there. So Kim, from where I sit and growth is a process, business cycle are invitable. Market goes up, market goes down. Exactly. But we have seen a steady state of growth. For so long. I mean, it's been it's been utopia, really, when we think about it. And here we've come to a sudden halt. Yes. But I remember when I came in this country in 2008, 2009, things were different. <laughs> You're right. And we've forgotten how that felt. I talked about this on a previous podcast, but that that recession or market correction, I should say market correction, not recession, was the second worst in the history of, I think it was from like 1913. So over 20 years or or 100 years, (laughs) getting all excited about this talk. And, And that's significant. We may or may not reach those same numbers. I think that recession that we came from, the pain that we have grown from, we have learned lessons. Banks have learned their lessons. I hope so. And we have learned our lessons. I do see that there will be some market correction. I do see that we won't be on a hockey stick market where you invest in a couple of tech companies and you get 205 <laughs> of returns. But There will be some market correction, but I don't think so that we are going to see 2009, 2011 again. I I hope you're right. Yeah, yeah, not so quickly, right? I think those do happen, but I'm not sure that's where we're going. Do you think that the increase in interest rates is going to help avoid that, or is it going to make it worse? Ooh, these are big economic questions today. <laughs> That's kind of very big economic questions for me. But well, my fear is that with the rising interest rates and with the shrinking demand, the most unwanted economic situation is stagflation. Stagflation mm. is a situation where prices are going up. But the economy is contracting, the demand is going down. And that is very painful. Oh, yes. 
the most painful situation to be in. And sometimes that could be worse than a recession because on one hand, people are leaving jobs. They don't have jobs. Market is shrinking. On the other hand, the affordability of their investments, of, of their consumption style is also decreasing. Yeah, I think that is the the painful side of what is potentially ahead of us. But we don't know. You know, it's hard to tell. It, I think, I think, and I, I I think you agree with me that with the pressures of maybe a recession, rising interest rates, market drops, that the pressure on ESG investing is higher than ever. One to perform. And it's not doing that. So let's talk about that. Let's let's discuss the fact that ESG or impact investing during this last six months has been underperforming. It is underperforming because how it is applied and it right. is applied earlier at an easy way, which is divestment. Right, the divestment, divestment of from the sectors, divestment from the region, and as financial professionals, we know that divestment increase the concentration risk in the portfolio because your portfolio is not diversified enough to carry the flow of risk from one sectors to another sectors to balance the risk. And the risk right, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the risk right now is mainly in terms of ESG investing, mainly in divestment from oil companies, weapons manufacturing, some other industries similar to that, because those are those are outperforming, obviously, for unknown reasons on the oil part, right? Like, why is this really up this high? But it's also based on the war that's happening in Ukraine, the invasion there. And I have many clients. I, we talk we talk to clients all the time about. First of all, there's no perfect company. We, you know, we always mention that for clients who are wanting to be very restrictive in their accounts in terms of companies or sectors or industries that they might own. The reminder always needs to be said that the more you restrict your account, the potential for underperformance. It's very yes. much there. Most people, most clients will say to me, that is okay. I'm okay with that because I'm investing with my heart and the things I believe in. And they just really need to hold out and wait this out. We've seen it before. I was reading a survey. I don't remember whether it was a, a Wall Street survey or a PI survey, which says that nine out of 10 investors in a recession market will invest in faster recovery and not their ethical values. Because That's interesting. Is looking at to come out of recession or loss mitigation, and that gets priority. And that was that's a little eye opening, honestly. That was very eye opening for me, and I was thinking that how we can make ESG a factor of fast recovery. So now pressure is on 
people who designed the portfolios to make sure that ESG is a factor of fast recovery because that is how we can ensure that ESG get the priority in investing, which it has been getting since last two, three, five years. When you talk about making it a priority in in the circles that we're in, I am personally very adamant that ESG, when you talk about environmental, social, and governance, is a process. It is the, the details behind the investment. And for clients, what they really want to know is the impact. And so if we are excluding, let's just use big oil, because that's a very common exclusion. We have clients who say, no oil, right? What they're really looking at is the impact of oil companies, not just financially, but on the planet, on our climate. And I know you understand this because this is also something that's important to you at Intelligent. How are you balancing those two pieces? So, Kim, there is investment style where you can divest from oil, gas, fossil fuel, or you can engage with oil, gas, fossil fuel and invest in the companies that are reducing their carbon footprint. So how intelligent process works is in a very diversified sector inclusion, regional inclusion manner. Would you call that also best of class investing? I would say again that it is a style of investing where importance of carbon reduction is more than carbon footprint. Okay, I see. So reducing the carbon production is a higher priority than what the current carbon footprint is. So we're looking forward, not in the current moment. Exactly. And and that's what we I think need to remind you know our clients or other investors that we are looking towards the future. Exactly. And moving forward, I think risk protection and risk risk premium and especially climate risk protection and climate risk premium will become a very important factor where we will use forward-looking models to see and to adjust companies' valuation of operations in a scenario with carbon tax, tighter regulations, and more engagement with the companies to force them, reduce the carbon. I like that. And I would like to see us all doing that with not just, you know, looking at carbon footprints or reduction of carbon, but in so many other areas in the S and the G too, all of these pieces are important. I know one of the things you are interested in is looking at emerging markets and how that's affecting the global economy. And I am not that up on emerging markets, to be honest with you. So I am interested in what your take is. So Kim, 
When I see emerging markets, I see them as a market which operate with less resources. They don't have as many capital resources, sometimes natural resources or <laughs> energy resources as OECD or developed markets have. <laughs> For example, in US, our annual per capita carbon consumption is around 15.5 million. This is three times what we have in France and eight times of what we have in India. And oh, wait a minute. France, I get because it's so small, but then you just mentioned India and we are eight times the production in India. Yes. And in India, there are still regions and houses. They don't have electricity. So if India gets better where these not-haves get resources of electricity, then also India's per capita energy consumption will be one-fifth of United States. Interesting. So you're saying by providing electricity and an increase in carbon fuel usage, right? India is still going to be very much below what the U.S. is currently doing. That's, that's, I don't want to say it's phenomenal because it's frightening, actually, that we and probably other industrialized countries are actually doing more damage than countries like India, and I suspect also China. I know China has a lot of alternative energy production happening, and per capita, I'd be curious to know if it was better than the US. I suspect it might be the per capita production. Mm-hmm. And people don't like to talk about investing in India or investing in China, but you know, if they're ahead of the game here, it might be something that we as environmental focused investors need to pay a little more attention to and look at. Because first of all, everybody deserves electricity and access to that. So we have to provide that if countries like China and India are, my understanding is looking at more alternative sources than just saying, let's just plug into the, you know, the coal plants or whatever it is they're using at that, that period of time. Is that is that the case? Kim, that is exactly the case because scarcity is the mother of innovation. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we go? Where do we go from here? I, you know, I'm just looking at some notes that you sent me and, you know, I would say that these emerging markets, they know how to operate in scarcity. They know how to operate in scarcity of fossil fuels, oil, and gas. And And water sometimes. Water sometimes. So because they have scarcity, they have more incentive to innovate in alternative (laughs) energy space. That's true. I have said this for many years. With gas prices need to be higher in the US, we need to really push the pain point on that. 
And here where I'm at in New Mexico, it's just under $5. It's dropped and it bumped over five. And I went, Ooh, that hurts. <laughs> you know, So, you know, we're trying to be more conscious of our car driving specifically, but there are places in this country that are close to $9 and people are still driving. So I don't know what that pain point is. We are, we are very spoiled. spoiled sure. and we have a lot of resources, which are good. Yeah. yeah. Resources are not terrible. You're right. But how but we manage. We are, we are weak at optimizing those resources because we can't live in a, Minimum standard are <laughs> we choose not to live. It's true. It's true. You know, <laughs> there's so many things we could talk about on this. And one of the comments you made in your notes was that these emerging markets are the ones who are closely, more closely aligning with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which I find an interesting idea, Pooja, because I my understanding behind the SDGs is for company or not companies, countries like the US and major countries in Europe. The idea is for them, for us to look at these goals and help increase the lives, you know, better the lives of, of those living in emerging markets. But they're doing it themselves, is what I kind of hear you say. We're not helping so much. I would say that we can help more. And I do see that a lot of fund transfers, a lot of investment strategies are targeted to emerging markets today. But it is not enough. It is not enough. If you will look at the ratios of investments, then still you will see more bias towards developed and OECD economies and uh, being like climate and equality and more diversity on top of UN sustainability development goals. Emerging markets build a strong case of satisfying a couple of goals together, not only some, but a basket of goals together. Yes, it's definitely a basket of goals that we all have to work on together. And um, I'm, I'm going to start to wrap this up a bit, but you know, I I have this opinion, again, just my opinion, that in order to get to a better economy, and we do need a better economy because it's. And I'm not just talking about the fact that costs are high. I'm talking about an overall economy that is more supportive of the people and the planet and just continuing to live here. So if we're going to get to that place, we have to start with emerging markets and those economies. And while they're working on lifting themselves up, we need to be supporting that. And that is part of a huge part of the UN's sustainable development goals. That's true, Kim. And I'll give you a little formula over here. So I was a professor in my last life. I still love teaching. For me, you know, teaching at the first time and for students learning for the first time was easy. 
But I got some students in the class, they learned a wrong way. Uh-huh. Unlearning, uh-huh. learning is very, very hard. So we as developed economies have to unlearn and learn. But Ooh. developing economies, emerging market economies, they're still in processes of the learning. And it is our duty we can direct them for this right learning by supporting them with the capital needs. They have to do it right. Oh, gosh, I love that analogy. That is so perfect and probably a great way for us to end this. Just to reiterate, what you what I hear you say is the U.S., we'll just use the U.S. and some other countries too, right, have learned the wrong way to do this. And and when I say do this, I mean, um, make the economy supportive for everyone, save our planet, stop polluting, you know, reduce carbon footprint. So we've learned all the wrong things to do. And unlearning that, unlearning a habit is very difficult. And then relearning a new habit. Many emerging market economies are learning for the first time and it's our duty. It honestly, in, if we're talking about investments, it's our fiduciary duty to help them learn right the first time. Yeah, <laughs> you're nodding, nodding, nodding. There's nothing okay. else to say. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I want to ask Eric to join us again as we kind of wrap things up and. Did we totally confuse you? Does this make sense? Confuse me? No. <laughs> Just things, that, some of those takeaways. Kim, you've talked about this before and the the, the ESG negativity, right? That, that's going on right now. You and I spoke about that on a podcast just recently. I, I keep hearing really stupid things. Can I, mm. can I just tell you one of them again? Tell now? me one of them and let's talk about it. So... Here's the thing is that it was on the radio, you know, I'm channel surfing, listening as I drive a truck that takes way too much gas, but I can't walk. There's just no, there's not, not going to happen yet. But they were, they were talking about, oh, ESG, they're pushing this or pushing that. They're pushing electric vehicles, you know, and they're, they want these gas prices to be high. Kind of what you were alluding to. We need that pain point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they want these gas prices to be high, but look what's going on with Lake Mead and the Hoover Dam. There's not going to be enough electricity mm-hmm. to charge those cars anyway. Oh, yeah. and they're like, well, that's a dumb point. Then, then change the change the things that you're doing to the environment so that you know we don't run out of the water and the minimum pool power or minimum power pool for for the Hoover Dam. And just as a side note, in April it was reported that it was at 1,075 meters, and it stops creating electricity at 1,064 meters. That's 11 meters. That's 11 meters. That then that was in April, and it's been hot lately. So I have no idea where it's at now. But and dry in that correct. region. So, and more than that, more than the producing of the electricity, that's a water source for multiple states. Yeah. So I I just, I don't get some people's attitudes of, oh, I'm not getting an electric car because there's not going to be electricity. Well, but there will be electricity because we could produce it so many other ways via wind, via, uh, you know, solar, it's, you know, uh, oceans, the oceans can produce electricity. If we so, were to, because, because as we you still guys have said, to do. unlearn and learn, we have to find alternate options. <laughs> exactly right. right. Point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eric, 
I think your analogy is perfect. And what you're hearing on the the radio or other sources is exactly what we're seeing in the in the big picture of our industry. And if that's a problem, this is a problem. So why would we do yeah. that? And <laughs> and I think the important piece here is that when we are talking with clients and working with them, it's about their values. So if their values say, I do not want to have investments in oil or big banks or, you know, what, you know, pharmaceuticals, whatever it is, that's the client values. And that's what we have to respect in our industry. And that's what I respect and work with clients on that basis. So Pooja, thank you so much for being on today. Again, it's always lovely to have you here and get your opinion on things. So thanks again for joining. Thanks again for asking very, very, very thoughtful questions. And you <laughs> know, after every podcast, you leave me where I am thinking more and going back to my economic, mathematical and how world works theories. So <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I'm getting folks to, to, to think. And as I always mention, if anyone is listening and they're interested in how we might align investments with their values, I'd like to invite them to email us at horizons at info at horizonssfs.com or call us on the phone 505-982-9661. And I'm going to say one more thing because- (laughs) Because you can. Because I can. Because I'm, I'm taking the show out. Here's the thing. For the listening audience, Kim and I have been doing this for a few years now. And if you didn't realize it already, there's been different times where Kim and I have spoken and, and made it very clear. Her and I don't agree on everything. There are certain things that I just don't agree on, maybe within the ESG. But it's, like you said earlier, Kim, it's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So for those listeners that are interested in, in looking at what they could do to invest in their values, you may not agree with everything that Kim has said on this podcast, or even when you're sitting across from her and you guys are discussing this. But the beauty of it is, is that she can look and see what you truly value and see how that works into your plan. And it doesn't have to be the perfect plan. Like you said, there's no perfect company, right? And, right. and that's... We're all and trying plans, our best. Yeah, plans can be adjusted. They should Absolutely. be adjusted periodically. Yeah. So yeah. So don't let that scare you off. Please email in, call in, have the conversation because I think it's it's just so valuable. I know that I have gotten so much value out of this podcast and being with Kim. So again, thank you both for a wonderful show today. A lot of food for thought. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Deep Impact Investing Podcast with Kimberly Grego Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Kim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. listening to Deep Impact Investing, the sustainable, responsible, impact investing podcast that shows you how to invest like you give a damn. If you have questions about this podcast or topics you'd like to hear addressed on an upcoming podcast, email us at kim at 
sfs.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at Horizons S-U-S-T-F-I-N or give us a call at 505-982-9661. Don't forget to click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The companies we may speak about during our podcast are not recommendations for investment. Only you and your financial advisor can determine what the right investments are for you. Horizon Sustainable Financial Services, Inc. and its financial professionals do not render tax or legal advice. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and or guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Horizon Sustainable Financial Services. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. None of this content may be used or duplicated without the express written agreement of the podcast host.